Welcome back to the Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, got a um, got a duo, which is exciting. We've got uh, Justin Adams and Pat Morell from Anduin. Some of y'all might recognize them a little bit more from uh, being co-founders of Digitize, which got off the ground in 2017. They sold, stuck around with the acquisition company for a little while, and then last year in the middle of the pandemic, they started to give it another run, and they started Anduin. Both companies had early success, so good podcast just today to sit down and talk with them about the experience and process of developing digitize how it worked how they did it how they came together you know some of the struggles some of the opportunities what that experience was like with them and how they came about the the discussion and decision to sell the business rather than raise additional money and then fast forward that a little bit and, and talk with them about, you know, the difference between um, digitizing and, and now and doing, right? What was their, what was the different approach for them? And what do they learn from it? And therefore, you know, how are they set up differently as they move forward with the new company? So really good podcast with two people that, you know, it's the first time we've had, you know, entrepreneurs that have sold a business and started another business. So a good opportunity for us just to kind of do a check-in and and see what they learned and how they're applying it differently and hopefully some nice value for y'all as well. So hopefully enjoy, I think, a really robust discussion today with Justin and Pat. All right, Justin Justin and Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, no, we're excited to finally grab you on board and kind of talk about y'all's entrepreneurial journey here for a little while. So, um, anyways, as, um, as y'all might know, we usually kind of get, we get started with a little, a couple of little softball questions. We get the creative juices flowing. Um, so I think everybody here knows a little bit about each one of you, but if you could, uh, 30, 60 seconds, uh, on each one of you, uh, Justin, we'll let you start it off. Uh, a little bit of background who you are um, and what got you into the entrepreneurial um, world um, as you started Digitize years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up on the other coast, um, California, and, and I guess my entrepreneurial journey began at an early age when I uh, convinced my, uh, when I was seven, I convinced my three-year-old sister to pay me money to cut her Barbie's hair. Um, so not only got to cut my sister's uh, Barbie's hairs, but she, she paid me for it. So that was a pretty good deal. Um, is, it then when, is, it, is it then when you learned that recurring revenue was better than one-time salesmanship? Or how did that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I probably should have set up a weekly uh, haircut, but I might have hacked it off too much. Um, but yeah, just always come from a family of entrepreneurs and kind of just always been... Uh, even though I worked for some large companies out of uh, school, you know, just kind of always been in my system and I knew that that was uh, where I'd end up one day. So no, it makes sense. We'll talk a little bit about that background in a few minutes. Pat, how about you? Uh, I grew up in Raleigh. I did not 
mangle any uh, dolls as a child as my first business venture. Really, I had a delayed start to entrepreneurship. I uh, came into it largely as a function of kind of circumstance and necessity. And in, in the recession of 08, 09, I'd actually been working in campaign politics and was back in Washington, D.C., uh, making peanuts on the hill, writing press releases and, and waiting tables at night to pay rent. And I had an opportunity to work with a startup in Raleigh, a company that's still around, really terrific company, Three Ships. I was a, a employee number three there, actually. And that, that set me off on a journey where thereafter I worked at, uh, for folks in Charlotte who know uh, Skookum, now Method, um, worked at Skookum for almost four years uh, for Brian Delaney, one of the, the founders there. And um, it was actually at that point that, that Justin and I first crossed paths and became kind of coffee networking idea buddies. And um, after a, a brief stint for about a year and a half at a Fortune 500 here in town, um, realized I just I loved entrepreneurship too much to uh, to stay away from it. So that uh, kicked off Justin's and I working relationship with uh, Digitize AI in 2017, Thanksgiving of 2017, actually. So that's cool. Um, I didn't realize y'all met while you were at Skookum. Um, so good deal. Well, um, let's, let's kind of start there then, and then we'll kind of weave our way back into a little bit of each one of your backgrounds as we go through it. But so I think most folks that listen to the podcast know y'all started and ultimately ended up selling digitized, but what, how did that come about? Right. So, I mean, obviously you're having coffee, um, you're meeting, um, how did, how did it come about? How did y'all start working together? How did you formulate it? You know, what were the early days like at Digitize? And I guess before you do that, let's um, just a quick reminder to everybody what Digitize is, what, what was the premise behind it, right? What was the business model, so to speak? Yeah, so I'll take that since um, it's kind of been an area I've been focused on for a while. So I, at, coming out of business school, I was with a uh, management consulting firm 500 people that was acquired by PwC, um, obviously much larger than 500 people, and didn't really want to stay and, and tried to tried to leave, but they convinced me to stick around by giving me some cool um, opportunities, and, and one of those was really helping start what turned into the center of excellence for kind of back office automation and artificial intelligence, and so real early on, you know, saw some of the power of automating uh, these office tasks. And so one of my claims to fame there was I was one of the first users of a little Romanian uh, software startup uh, in the U.S. That, that's now uh, called UiPath. And I think their market cap is about $35 billion the last I checked. Um, and so r really I saw the potential uh, um, for that. And, and so after doing that, decided it was time to hang my own shingle, so to speak, um, around that. And so left and, and basically I had this idea and I remember um, getting the website back then. This would have been early 2017 to get the dot AI. You had to, it was like Anguilla or something was the country that, that hosted it. And GoDaddy didn't have the rights or anything. So you had to like wire, you know, checks uh, to this PO box of the government officials in Anguilla. And it, the whole process was like six months. So anyways, I stayed up all night, one night, because I couldn't sleep because I spoke so about this idea. And, and I registered, started my registration that night. My wife woke up and came out of the bedroom. And I said, guess what? I registered a, com 
it's for a company. And um, that was really the, uh, the beginning. Um, and so took, you know, left, left work and began a number of months process of trying to get some seed funding and, and kind of, you know, from the idea of like, okay, let's start something to recruiting the right co-founders. And I'll let Pat kind of talk about where he entered the story to figuring out what the use case was. Ultimately, the use case, we found a process in the CFO suite of large healthcare systems uh, around prior authorizations that, that we automated with software. Um, but that wasn't the, the first use case that we looked at. And so we had kind of a number of pivots um, that we can get into, but um, yeah, that was kind of the, the, the genesis story. And, and so throughout this process, talking to Pat about joining and Pat, I'll let you pick up where, where you kind of enter in. So, yeah, and so this would have been, I officially joined again, November, just after I think Thanksgiving of 2017, Justin had kind of raised the capital and that was necessary just in the life position I was in with my wife. We had, we literally just had our second child and, and to have joined Justin six months prior would have been completely impossible for anybody who's out there who's had a baby or having a baby, you know, a little thing called insurance is kind of nice for that, uh, that, that life milestone. But um, once uh, our son arrived kind of happy and healthy, I, 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 I had kind of some opportunity for reflection and realized how much I had enjoyed uh, the, the on again, off again, coffee meetings and brainstorms. Justin and I had enjoyed going back to his time at PwC and my, back to my time at, at Skookum. So I think it was one of those where my wife and I spoke a lot about it. And, and something I'll often counsel other entrepreneurs on is kind of uh, your, your spouse, your life partner, whoever it may be, kind of bring them into the decision-making process. As neurotic as it sounds, I actually wrote my wife a, a memo outlining the pros and cons, the risks and the upside of diving into this fledgling thing called digitize. And, and I actually did likewise to Justin kind of shared that memo with him as a co-founder to say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Here's why I'm excited. Here's here, here are the risks I'm acknowledging. Here are my skill spikes, et cetera. And it was with that framing that I then felt confident to do the following in a six week period, which in retrospect sounds as crazy as it felt at the time. Um, in six weeks, I, I, my son was born. I, I quit my corporate job, which was really difficult because I had built a team and I, I really loved the people I worked with um, and sold my house, convinced my wife to sell our house in, in Plaza Midwood for all the charlatans. It was the right time. And uh, we did well enough to actually create a little bit of a nest egg that allowed us to actually kind of finance uh, the, the, the ups and downs of startup life for a couple of years thereafter. So a lot of life changes all to then kick off uh, uh, a whirlwind of a company at Digitize, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. But it was um, it was one of those you kind of push all your chips into the middle of the table, and well, you go all in. Uh, you um, you don't often hear, at least in Charlotte, um, or at least amongst the circles, um, selling the house to help the early days of getting through uh, little or no salary at that point in time. So, and, you know, um, certainly chips on the table for sure. <clears throat> yeah, let's just say that took uh, took a lot of discussion and a lot of interpersonal comfort. And, and credit to Justin, who is my my CEO, and made it made it possible for me to make a living wage to to make that all work. So uh, we <laughs> we 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 lived we lived the scrappy startup lifestyle there. That's for sure. Maybe your best salesmanship job yet to your wife, right? Um, <laughs> so, anyways, so. Um, so Justin, uh, Pat pushes chips on the table. You've got this, you know, company that 
at this point in time, you know, you've probably gotten your official .ai back from Anguilla. Um, little known fact, I now have two people I know who have businesses that were originally started in Anguilla. Um, I'll tell you about the other one on a separate day. So, um, anyways, I feel, um, I feel like I'm in like this whole new stratosphere of people that only have two people that have started businesses in Guilla. But anyways, so Justin's put, pushed his chips on the table. You've gotten your approval back. You've got a website. Um, you know, what's, what does the end of 2017 look like setting the, setting the stage for 2018 for a growth stage for, for digitize? What do you, what do you start to do from there? You've, you've got a new teammate. Yeah, so you know the the dual the, the dual role of a CEO with any startup really is you've got to at the same time build you know build engineering function and build uh, a sales pipeline right it's it's you've got to do uh, both simultaneously. I've, the story I heard from one startup which I kind of liked was uh, they had a big. Uh, uh, stuffed monkey um and in the office on fridays depending on if the sales team or the engineering team fell further behind the leaders of the team would have to wear the monkey on their back um kind of depending on on that and so it's it's you know that's a funny way to say but you know it's um really because one without the other doesn't do any good right you could have the best product in the world and if you can't sell it then it doesn't do you any good and um, similarly, if you have sales, but no way to, you know, deliver a quality product, it doesn't do you any good. And so, you know, we were early on putting the foundation, um, in place around, uh, you know, our first couple hires were, you know, a data scientist and, uh, and a, a CTO and, um, were those local here at that point in time. Yes, they were. And, you know, you know, part part of getting scrappy, <laughs> um, you know, I couldn't afford a two hundred thousand dollar a year data scientist, um, and, and so one of the kind of growth hacks that that we did was uh, going to UNC Charlotte, hiring uh, someone with their master's degree, but then having to sponsor them from a work visa perspective because there's it's. In hindsight, it was a, it was a pain, but it allowed us to, you know, get quality um, that, frankly, we wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. And you know, a lot of most employers, including a lot of big employers, don't even sponsor visas. And so, for us to do that was a way to kind of attract outsized talent. Um, so one 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 kind of growth hack there that we, that we did. Yeah, no, I'm familiar. I've gone through the process myself over the last six months. Um, so, um, so you do that. So you've got somebody that can sell, he can at least sell to his wife. Um, I think we'll learn <laughs> later on that he can probably sell elsewhere too. Um, you've got some, you've got some talent on board from a, from an engineering computer perspective. Um, how long does it take you to get the product up and running? Yeah. So, so I'm a big believer in really trying to build product with the end and customer in mind and because what you think somebody wants is very rarely you know what either they want or they or they you know even what they think they want may not be what they, they want and so um you know doing it in, in concert um with uh, others is um important so we were fortunate enough that we landed a 
relatively large client uh, down in the, the Atlanta area. And we, we more or less got a corporate, um, I call it a corporate apartment, but it was really a dude's basement um, that we rented out. And, and, and a number of us on the, on the team more or less would take turns shit like living down there. And so there are lots of uh, more than I can count uh, 4 a.m. mornings where Pat and I would meet the, the Waffle House and drive down to Atlanta um, to, to get there by, you know, 8 a.m. When, when, the, when the office opened. And so um, you can go into stories of sleeping in laundry room floors and, and all that fun stuff. But, you know, I'm getting I'm getting flashbacks right now. <laughs> Wonderful flashbacks. It was uh, everything you'd see in the movies. It, it was that and more in terms of how unglorious it was. Um, not That's a- yeah. Dive into that for a second then. So not the Waffle House and I'm probably sure pizza boxes and other um other non-nutritious items along the way, but you know, how did you go about them? So I mean, I guess um I mean you had a user, right? Um you had a were they were they a paying user, were they a beta user? Um how I mean they're it's a large entity, right? So what was the process like for y'all to go about grabbing that, securing it? Because I mean to your point, it's a it's a huge component to success. Yeah, we structured it as a pilot and we were fortunate enough to partner with a, con- a consulting firm that was doing some work um with this entity. So we basically were able to use that that relationship. And in return, um, the consulting firm saw that they could, you know, wrap services around kind of our software, what we were building. And we were very, I mean, you know, Pat, yeah, I don't know if you remember, but I do, you know, we, we got, uh, we got a white board, not even a whiteboard, what do you call it? Like a sticky big sheet of paper. And one day we went through and it's like, well, what do we want to be when we grow up? And we're like, we're very clear, like we're going to be a software company, not a services company. And we're not going to try, you know, a lot of people try to do both or start services and go into software. Like we just said from day one, we're going to be a software. And so we've defined that very clearly. And so what that means is we were kind of free to partner with service-based businesses because we could look them in the eye and tell them, Hey, this is not a, not a space we want to get into, right? We're going to find the right partners. And so um, I guess that, that positioning is kind of what allowed us to get into that, that first engagement. How long were you in a pilot with that first engagement before the software was up and ready to begin selling to the rest of the world? Pat, you remember, I want to say like a year, but I don't remember the exact time frame. Yeah, that feels about right. And it's, man, it feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah, it feels about right. And, and that's, I mean, that speaks as much to the nuances of uh, kind of startups operating in the healthcare space as it does to anything else. You know, in, in our current company, um, you know, the equivalent of, of a pilot would have been just a couple of months, uh, totally different kind of model integrations, users, et cetera. But yeah, it was, um, you had to build a lot of consensus, necessarily so. Healthcare, there's some sensitivities to healthcare from a data security and just a you know, people using the software standpoint. So it feels about a year. And and we we had kind of openly kind of postured to the market that, that this was something that was underway. And, and if I were to have, um, say, sales conversations uh, kind of concurrent to the pilot process, I'd be really transparent about where we are in the evolution of the platform. And I think that served us well over the long term because um, it, it frankly earned us some, some credibility. We were always really transparent. 
um, about kind of state of platform. And then also, Justin mentioned this off the bat, he and I shared a, a customer centricity. You know, whatever we were going to build, we were going to build in collaboration with the people who were going to use the software. And I, I think that served us well as well throughout that pilot and thereafter. And I will, I will say if you do that approach, which, you know, we did and, and are doing again, you know, being really buttoned up on the IP rights and legal legal ease is really important, right? Because um, you don't want it, you don't want there to be any, you know, any shadow of the doubt, right, down the road, um, who owns what from an IP perspective. So it's, it's a good approach from my perspective with that caveat is, over 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 index overspend on making sure you got you know good legal ip rights and all all, all that stuff yeah i was just and i met justin i mentioned this to you off offline the other day but i was i was talking to another early stage founder you know first time founder i said even if even if your pilot is a free pilot write up a statement of work with zero dollars and be sure that your your ip is 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 buttoned up and your msa is protecting you so that's that's sound advice for sure yeah, no, um, it's a delicate balance in knowing where to spend the dollars, right? And every startup's going to be a little bit different. And certainly in y'all's case, knowing to spend it and use it appropriately on the legal, um, tying things up on the legal side certainly sounds like a smart idea. Yeah, well, so, we weren't well, we weren't spending on uh, hotels and, and food and we can go on the stories of Hotel rooms that Pat and I stayed that had literal literal blood blood on the walls. Um, <laughs> they're so far off uh, the the main. Um, yeah, so we were spending it. We were putting back into IP. It, um, don't share those stories with the family in the midst of doing it. Right, share the family story or share the stories with the family um, after it's all said and done. So, um, so Pat, did I? Did I pick up correctly that while y'all were going through pilot building, you were out there selling the software already? Yeah, I was out there telling the story. Uh, I'll say because I think that was one. It was it was the only way we could we could do true business development. You know, we, we didn't have a large kind of paid media budget, for example. Yeah. We uh we 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 weren't a known brand, um. So we picked a few select conferences where we knew we'd be able to at least tell a distinct. Kind of very functional specific story because we, we focus on a very particular function in the in in, in the back office of, of hospitals um and so i was trying to be very intentional about um networking into the right decision makers making select outbound cold calls and cold emails and and in a lot of cases my first um ask or or, or invitation depending on how i want to frame it to uh you know, a decision maker in a hospital would be, hey, listen, we're, we're AI entrepreneurs in your profession or in your industry. Um, we're building something we think is really cool. What we're trying to do is get market feedback. Can I interview you about our strategic direction? And that would actually be quite resonant. And frankly, it was a sincere ask because I really did want to validate. This wasn't like a veiled end around for a sale. This is a sincere ask because I wanted to validate, hey, are, are we onto something or are we totally off base? And, and, and fortunately, we were on the right track, but we got some good um, feedback from people who, some of whom I never spoke to again, uh, s some of whom went right into our sales pipeline when it was appropriate to, to do so. Um, and then for other folks, I, I very plainly said, listen, we're early. We've built something we think has a lot of promise. I want to have a discussion about you buying it. And uh, in, in some cases, that worked out well for us. So it was, it was situational. Um, and, and I'll say that I spent a lot of time talking to 
what I would characterize as kind of the the thought leaders and and the etiquette setters in the in the industry. I learned a lot from other salespeople at other companies. I learned a lot from uh, you know people who were publishing thought leadership articles, people in the media, just to try to understand the buying norms and the etiquette of how things are done in 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 healthcare. And I, I had a little bit of a leg up. My father's a, 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 a medical director at a, at a health system. Um, so he was able, but long since retired at the time, he was able to counsel me on, well, this is what you don't want to say to a doctor because it'll set up their red flags. And, and he'd bought plenty of technology in his time. Um, but um, for the most part, it was uh, smiling and dialing, as they say. Yeah. And, and Justin was right there in the trenches, too. Justin's not a CEO on the Hill. He and I were doing sales calls together. He and I were in it, you know, plane hopping, you know, to save money, we would do, you know, there weren't a lot of direct flights at our time at Digitize. I think we did a lot of layovers to cut costs and early mornings and late nights. But uh, yeah, we made it work. Yeah, one thing, one thing on that point, kind of on the theme of where to spend money. You know, I think looking back, really some of the highest ROI we had was going to the kind of industry leading conferences. So you know, it seems like spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars to have a, a small booth at these um, places seems wasteful on one hand, but looking back, I mean, that you show up, you know, you get to know other people in the industry, like you become a known entity, right? And that's at the end of the day, no one's, you know, you have to build that trust right before someone's, there has to be some trust there before someone uh, purchases you. And so I just like advisor software, you know, not even acquisition, but, um, and so having that presence and that um, continuity, looking back on it, I think was really important for us to to, yeah. to that investment. Did um, let me talk about um, capital for a second. What was y'all's capital strategy on the first company? Did you raise capital early on? Was it self-funded? Um, I mean, obviously, ultimately ended up selling. But what was the capital structure like for the early years? Sell my house to pay for diapers for my new baby. That was my capital. That's, that's okay. <laughs> Babies need diapers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was fortunate that, um, have a number of, uh, friends and family members that really just kind of angels that, that gave us, um, initial seed money to kind of get, the, get the business going. And so that was what paid, you know, our Pat and I is, you know, very meager salaries to, I mean, I have the story that, you know, early days, you know, are similar to, to, to Pat and his wife. You know, we, we also had kind of everything in it, you know, that we had a we had our dryer break and my wife was playing, uh, hanging clothes on a clothesline out back because we couldn't afford to uh, support the repair costs on the dryer. So um, we, 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 we <laughs> failure was uh, not really a great option for either of us. Um, and so, you know, we had, we had, yeah, a, a small amount of angel investment, but that was really it. And we had to be very scrappy. So we were doing, we were taking on data science job, like consulting jobs on the side. So not services, but like projects, more like technical kind of projects mm-hmm. that were on the side to help get some cash flow in the business. And so we never did raise institutional um, funding. We kind of, at the point we were right at that point where we were going to need to do that um, or, or go through the acquisition process. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the big inflection point um, was go out and raise serious 
venture money or, 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 or go ahead and, and sell the business. So how did you, so, um, you know, you get through your first pilot, y'all are signing on customers. You're starting to realize that the business is, is growing. You've got, um, you've got this decision that lays out in front of you that, all right, we've got to raise capital to, to really put fuel on the fire, so to speak, or it's time to go. So how, you know, talk a little bit about that process. How did y'all approach it? Did you, did you technically take both strategies and just see which one was going to win or what did it look like? Yeah, we, we were, we had a competitor or so a company that we thought was going to become a competitor that had raised a large, large amounts of capital. And so we were kind of in a unique position where thinking to compete, we were going to have to start kind of doing that ourselves. And, and the, the general rule of thumb that I heard was basically for every dollar in VC money you take on, you're going to need to about 10x that from an exit perspective to um, really have it be a good outcome for the, the venture capitalists. So I'm just going to make up numbers, you know, but, but you know, let's say we were to raise $10 million, you know, you're looking at a $100 million value creation you're going to have to do to uh you know, have that be kind of a good, good return. And so I think this, it was a very, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, it was a very kind of mutual decision process where we started doing the math of kind of what we would need to raise and then saying, okay, it's going to take us, you know, five to seven years or whatever to kind of create that enterprise value. Like, is, is this, <laughs> is this the journey we want to go down for the next five or seven years or, or um, does it make sense to, uh, you know, have a strategic acquisition where we get the benefit and resources of a much larger company and don't have to kind of continue to be on, be on the treadmill. So that was, I think really, a it's really a, a yeah. it's everything from a strategic, but you know, environment, you know, macro environment, competitors, personal, like energy level, like all, all those things, I think kind of factored in. And I, and I think it's what Pat and I were thinking through at the time. So how'd you go about finding your uh, Pat? Go ahead. I'll cut you off. No, I, 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 Justin, I think remembers it perfectly. In fact, it really was a, a series of discussions in, involving, you know, other members of our team and, 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 and us to, to think about what do we, how do we want to see this evolve? Um, and it's just as much kind of personal, you know, familial, you know, economic as it is kind of business opportunity. So it's a, it's a cocktail of decisions. That's for sure. So how did you, how'd you find your strategic buyer? Did you raise a flag and say we're for sale or what, how did that, and what was that process like? Was it a positive, positive process, obviously a positive outcome when you sold it. Um, but you know, fill us in a little on the details from y'all's angle. Yeah, it was a evolution. I would say it was, it was a, I was much early on more of a partnership conversation around you know, we had built a very niche asset, so to speak, that uh, could complement a lot of uh, companies that, that have more of a broader horizontal play. And so we were talking to a number of companies around, okay, what if we were to partner? What if what if they were to put in uh, some money into the business, right? So rather than, rather than go venture capital, but rather than be fully acquired, you know, they make a minority investment. And so we, we were having those conversations with, with a number of firms, uh, 
for months. And, and I think it got to the point where, you know, some of them just said, well, hey, what, why don't we just kind of acquire, would you be interested in being acquired outright? And, and I think we hemmed and hawed, but over time, uh, and the more we, we talked about it, it, it's, yeah, you know, we would be open to the possibility. And so the nice thing is because we had been having a, a large number of partnership conversations and um, when we did decide, like, it made sense to, to be acquired, there was a number of suitors kind of already there. So we didn't hire, we didn't need to hire an investment bank. We didn't, you know, have to kind of drum up demand already because it, it was just kind of organically there um and, and so for us that was that was kind of how the process went down um and all during that acquisition conversation talk you're still out there selling the heck out of the business right um yeah. so the, out of the product right yeah i mean i i kind of i spearheaded all those conversations and tried to keep really keep pat out as much as i could because there is still a business to be run to your point there. I mean, you, you can't necessarily. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't uh, assume that anything's going to go through. And so you, you have to be running the business like it's not going to go through and, and it's, you're going to have to continue to operate the business. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much, uh, you can't do either, or you've got to, if you're going to do it, you got to do both, um, which, which incredible amount of work to do, but um that absolutely it's uh you're still you're still operating so you started doing go ahead i was doing well i was doing sales calls right up until (laughs) the actual point of i think that that deal closing and first thing the following monday i was doing sales calls again i mean there's there's a certain continuity of 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 just running the business that needs to happen uh exactly to justin's point because you just you have to you have to keep growing so yeah I, i think we we were uh I think we navigated that quite well. We set uh, the right expectations for ourselves, or I should say, Justin set the right expectations for me. <laughs> there you go. So you, Pat, you come in uh, Thanksgiving, 2017, you sell the business when? Justin, what was it? June of 19, June of 2019. Thank you. Yeah. Time flies. So, um, how'd you celebrate? <laughs> Well, I think but, we went to a conference like two days later, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any downtime, and we, we were um, the deal closed on Friday at five, like four fifty nine. You know, the markets closed at five, and so uh, the you know I was working twenty two hours a day up until trying to get the deal done, um, and, and the. <laughs> you get the kind of the final step of the deal closing is you get wired the funds. And I remember at like five fifteen, the funds hadn't come through and thinking, Oh man, something's going on. And, and, and sure, yeah, I guess that the way the wiring system works of our archaic banking infrastructure is that there's just a deluge of funds being sent in the last minute on Friday. And so by five thirty something, the, the funds hit. And so the, the huge sense of relief, obviously to, to have that, you know, process done because it's just just from a mind perspective it takes up so much space and effort. Um, but now Pat and I jumped into the new business, you know, with a new company, and we were we were doing road shows. I think we traveled more more after we were acquired. Um, Absolutely. We, so nicer hotels. We did the accommodations. <laughs> got our own rooms at that point. Let's put it that way. No blood on the walls. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Um, 
So now I was wondering if the funds got caught up in Angola by accident. Um, but uh, we were a US corporation, only the website was <laughs> registered in. Oh man. So y'all stick around. How long? So you're with that. You get acquired, you stick around with the acquisition company. How long do you stick around with the acquisition company? We stuck around for, I guess it was about a little over nine months. Um, and really it was right up to kind of right when COVID hit um, in 2020. So that was kind of COVID was the, the point of time where um, the acquiring company and Pat and I, it, it, there, there was a lot of specifics behind of additional acquisitions that were made by them. And um, it just made sense for, uh, I think, both sides to, to um, say that the you know time is, time is right. And um, I think Pat and I were ready to kind of catch our breath. I won't speak for Pat. I was ready to kind of catch my breath a bit, having, again, had the startup and really taking no time off. I mean, I, I, skipped my family beach trip that summer to be at a sales conference uh, for the acquiring company. So, I mean, I really, really hadn't had any time off. So um, I think COVID hitting was just a good natural uh, uh, point in time where it made sense for me to, to take some time off. So what was, um, what was y'all's, what was y'all's breakaway from uh, how much time in between leaving Waystar and kind of officially uh, getting and doing up and off the ground? It was a good quarter or three to four months, I would say. I, um, you know, I, I definitely tried to work on my golf game a bit. And how'd it go? Not great. Yeah. And so I remember calling Pat. I was like, "Hey, Pat, like, I like golfing like once a week, but I can't do it three times a week. So um, the, maybe the, we need the tour's out. not calling. So you're gonna have yeah. to find something else to do, <laughs> huh? Exactly. Yeah, just be like me. Just don't even try to practice. You know. So yeah. So, um, we, we kind of took a break from each other. I mean, it's like a marriage, right? When you're co-founders and it was like, we took a break and it's like, go see what else is out there. Go see what other spouses are, uh, available. And, um, we kind of went our separate ways for a little while. And, um, I think we both circled back to, we've got a pretty good thing, you know, pretty good thing going. Um, why don't we run it back? So good success in the healthcare space, right? Built a company, sold it in you know um, a couple of years, um, stuck around, learned some more, stayed in nicer hotels, probably picked up a few other tidbits along the way. And then you come back and so now talk for a couple of minutes. Um, what's, what's Anne doing? What's the spin? What's the difference um, with the problem that you're solving with Anne doing versus, versus what Digitize was? Yeah, so I was, you know, going back to my PwC days, I, I kept seeing how bad the technology was that professional services used to operate uh, the business, and really kind of that stuck with me and is in the back of my mind. And then when I was went through the digitized selling process, the accounting firm I was using, they did a really good job with the due diligence, um, but then when it came time to like it to, for me to pay them, it was pretty brutal. Um, I remember getting like a paper bill I said like mail this check to this PO box and I was like geez guys like I'm trying to give you money while you're making it tough on me um and so that really you know a couple of those experiences let, led Pat and I to think this may be a market that's kind of underserved from a software perspective and um maybe a little 
maybe a little sleepy, but but we like kind of that uh, not almost unattractive areas because it tends to keep uh, keep out competitors potentially. Um, and so that was that was really um, the the thought process. Plus, we had four year non competes in healthcare, so <laughs> it wasn't really a not uh, going back to healthcare, huh? Not really going back <laughs> to healthcare anytime soon. So that was well, the, the process. When you when you <clears throat> when you exit and doing at some point in time in the future, target the legal industry. I just got my compliance bill from my attorney, and it's literally a piece of paper with the PO box on it. So, um, <laughs> pivot into that space next. So. <laughs> what um so pat what type of sales jobs do you have to do this time a little bit easier on this go around yeah it's you know as, as much as things change the more they stay the same isn't that it i mean it's it's what i love about sales is it's cyclical and it starts with a, a burden of proof right it's it's you're really in the driver's seat to to create um uh resonant message and, and even in the short period of time that anduin's been around that message has evolved dramatically. I mean, our, our first sales pitch was, was quite literally, hey, we are going to propose that you let us come work for you for free. And we're going to ask you what your biggest problem is. And this is me talking to a CFO or a managing partner or a head of technology at a large CPA firm. And for some folks, they never heard something like that before. But for, for Justin and me and our co-founding team and our, our early team members, we knew that kind of getting the opportunity to look under the hood to really understand intimately the problems that these firms face would, would really help us unlock what was going to be the thing we could create of the greatest value. So, I mean, quite, quite literally, we were positioning ourselves as, hey, we're going to come in and we are going to, and this was all completely transparent above board. We, we actually codified a, a go-to-market program called our, quote, Trailblazer program. And quite literally, we marketed this on our website for the first 10 customers. We are going to design uh, an at-risk fee model, in effect, where uh, we're delaying fees, we're giving discounts because the material value we're looking for from our early customers, our early adopters, the, the first movers, the trailblazers, is for them to partner with us uh, in providing insight as we build kind of unique solutions in IP, they provide insight and feedback. And the value to them is they get some really radical, progressive, you know, ROI driving technology at a very attractive price. And, and for us, we, we really get the, the benefit of being able to work with people who, who are kind of committed to helping us build something that the accounting profession had not seen before and has not seen before in, in, until we came along. So we're now much farther down the line in terms of the maturity of our customer base, the maturity of our, or I'd say the size of our customer base. We've acquired a lot of customers in, in the past, uh, what, eight months since we went to market in January. Uh, our platform is very mature. And um, our, our position to the market is, 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 is I'm not going to say it's a more quote traditional sales posture because we do some pretty innovative things with our pricing, our contracting, how we engage, but it's, um, it's far more straightforward. Let's just say I'm not, uh, I'm not throwing around a lot of discounts and, and, and trailblazer style incentives. Uh, that's really protected for our early customers who are, who are with us there from the beginning. And um, they're going to get access to the cool new stuff we're going to be turning out here pretty soon too. What, um, what did you learn? And gosh knows, it's not like you didn't, um, I mean, of course you made mistakes. It's not like you made a ton of mistakes with Digitize, building it and selling it in such a quick turn. But what did you learn with Digitize that you're now, you 
you know, easily applicable as you build out and doing, right? What were the mistakes you made or the successes that you instantaneously wanted to replicate and build out the new model? Make it easy to buy. Sorry, Justin, I'll, I'll go first. I mean, the, the, the lesson I learned that I carried over is make it easy to buy. Yeah. And by easy to buy, it's, I mean, it's every friction point you can imagine in the the sales and the really the value telling story. You don't need 30 slides, you need three. You, you can describe the problem in two sentences. You can describe the value of your solution in a one sentence job to be done statement, right? Make it easy to buy. And the first step to that is making it easy to understand kind of how you create value. And then even just down to the contractual elements, just make it easy. Uh, what's that? I mean, what I, I, somebody, everybody's got a, a sales manager at one point told them, you, you know, uh, people hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. Make it easy to buy. And, and part of that is frankly, just leading with a lot of transparency around kind of where you are in the evolution of the platform and where you are in terms of how your price and all that good stuff. So make it easy. Justin, what do you think? So obviously Pat wanted an easier job this time around. He thought, <laughs> he thought digitized was too hard. So he wanted to make it easy on himself, right? I made it hard for myself sometimes <laughs> as I think a lot of sales and marketing folks can, can relate or hack any entrepreneur can relate. So, yeah. 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 I think for me, it was, you know, foundational around, you know, people will tell you, I think as, as, as a startup CEO, you've got, you know, three main roles are capital strategy and, and talent. And, and thinking through for me, the foundation of the company and how, how I wanted it to be different. And so on the plus side, I wanted to keep the scrappiness and hustle, um, mentality that we had at yeah. digitize but i also wanted to bring on top tier talent and capital quicker than i did uh previously to basically set the the foundation um for us to scale you know hopefully orders of magnitude beyond kind of where we got to with digitize and so practically that meant five co-founders this time around which you know is, is phenomenal from a talent perspective, you're also, you're obviously diluting equity a lot sooner uh, when you do that. So that's kind of the trade-off there. Um, and then, and then raising, you know, money uh, quicker and more aggressively and obviously having a track record helps, but um, uh, you know, the uh, let's just, you know, we're still below market, but the starting salaries that Pat and I started with uh, at Anduin were um, a little higher than we did at, uh, at Digitize. And so that was a function of you know, just, just having a little more capital available to us um, as we grow. And then obviously about three months ago, raising our first uh, institutional uh, investor and going through that process. And we're fortunate to have Revolution Ventures from uh, DC area uh, lead our round, which which was pretty exciting. We announced a $14 million raise uh, end of June, I believe it was. So um, yeah, those were kind of some of the, the things we wanted to keep, but also change from, from my perspective. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot with this one. Then are you ready? Um, earlier on in the conversation, you said that the general rule of thumb that you've learned over time in dealing with VC firms um, is you essentially have to 10x the investment that you got, and you weren't ready or you weren't sure um, at that point in time with digitize whether or not you wanted to stick on the stick around on the wheel for five to seven years. So what made it different this time that, Hey, we're going to stick around on the wheel to five to seven years. I think it's as much that was the mentality 
um, when we set it up. It, it, it's amazing kind of how much it is, you know, for, for digitize. I mean, my initial seed investors, it literally was in my pitch, you know, we're going to try to grow and sell this in three to five years. Um, it happened in two. So it was a little bit quicker than what we had planned. Um, but you know, my, my early decks on this one is, Hey, this is going to be a five to 10 year, uh, you know, minimum kind of play. And we're going to try to grow it and IPO it. And, um, just a different, very different kind of fundamental mentality from the from the get go, and and some of the things I mentioned earlier about structural things we did different this time around played into that. So uh, I think knowing <laughs> knowing knowing that early on is super important because again the the, the way you optimize your decision making changes depending on what the timing is um, from from an outlook. I mean, at the end of the day, if you build an awesome company that had that customers love and you're creating value for customers and people like working at, you know, you're going to create value and you'll have optionality on when to exit the business. Um, so it's, it's as much about, I think, just personal alignment within the, within especially the co-founders um, on, on what that looks like for everyone. And so um, I would say those, that's the biggest difference, Pat. I don't know if you have anything to add. Yeah, just going in with with kind of a, a, a broader kind of set of expectations. And, and also, I think for me, is that I've, I've been a part of a couple of startups as an early employee and, and had the chance to kind of work under a, a founder for a number of years. Um, you know, I, I, as kind of a side project, started a small e-commerce business that I exited um, a, a couple of years ago. You know, paid for a couple of cups of coffee and it was a good learning experience. Long story short, like I, I know how rare it is to have uh, a co-founder that um, you, you get along with really well and, and, and where you, you feel your skill sets complement each other. And I think, you know, I, I was really excited to have found that with Justin at, at Digitize and have a carryover with Anduin. And as he mentioned, we're, we're, we're just two of, of a co-founding team of five and, and that dynamic plays out across the five of us. So you, you take a breath and you recognize, hey, these are folks with whom I can spend a lot of time working over over a number of years and, and and that's transcended our entire team as well so it comes down to the values and the people and we won't kind of recount them here but if you're curious about anduin's values they're on our website and those are very practical and kind of north stars for us in terms of how we manage our day-to-day -day and make decisions and i think about um i could spend a long run building a great company with kind of people like this and values like like those so um yeah so on that note, so the two of y'all had worked together, you um, took some time off, but ultimately um, Justin's golf game deteriorated rapidly and um, <laughs> new company, um, new company conversations probably popped up around coffee again. Um, I mean, so there's two of you, right? Um, Pat and Justin. Um, then there's three others that are co-founders in the company as well. Um, I mean, what do you do? You, you put advertisements out on LinkedIn, trying to attract co-founders. How did you go about finding your co-founders, um, for, for Anduin? No, I mean, we, we, Pat and I had known, um, them in, in various capacities before. I mean, you know, the reality is if you're an entrepreneur and at this point, um, you know, I, I think I probably consider myself that considering the last suit, I'm born a suit, you know, has been at, been at a funeral, um, then, 
you, you know, you keep your eyes open, right, for talent. And, and you're constantly thinking, maybe not today, but somewhere in the future, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how am I going to be able to use that talent um, and, and, and where? And so, you know, all throughout Digitize, we either worked with people as con- con- contractor, you know, people as contractors or consultants. And um, so when the, when the time was right, you know, it, it was kind of time to get the A team together. It's a little bit like uh, the Avengers, right? Like you put out the call and, and you see who wants to show up um, to, to go to battle. So um, that's how, um, you know, Pat and I assembled the co-founders. Uh, let me just touch briefly on the skill set because Pat brought that up. And I think it's a really uh, great point and don't want to overlook it is you really want complementary skill sets as a co-founding team, meaning if it's too similar, there's going to be, it means it's, there are going to be too many gaps you have. And so I look across the five of us um, and we're all, we have the values in common and, and um, you know, aligned on, but from a skills perspective, like what we're good at, we're completely different. Um, and it's wonderful. I mean, that's exactly kind of, you think about like a portfolio investment portfolio and how you want kind of diversity um, similar, I think, to co-founding team, the more you can get uh, across early, uh, the better. So just a quick plug there for finding diverse uh, talent skill sets on, on co-founding teams. You've also found um, diversity in your, uh, I don't know, your mentor, uh, your advisors in the company, right? So um, you've got a couple m- um, influential advisors that are associated, um, with, with Anduin, uh, a lot easier to attract people to be associated and want to be around y'all on round two than it was round one. And I'm, just, I'm sorry, I'm on your LinkedIn page. I'm specifically looking at Bob from Passport, right? So, um, yeah. well-known entity around Charlotte. Yeah. So Bob and I have gotten to know each other over the years and certainly, um, you know, having, you know, both started something and uh, a, a various levels of success definitely help. Um, you know, I think it's, to me, it's, it's as much about um, when you meet someone that just sees the world similar to how you see it. And, and it's, I can't really describe it, but it's a, Hey, it's not how things are. It's like what they should be in the future, and we're gonna go make it happen. Um, and it's not. It's not. You know, every everyone. I used to really. I, I, when I was in a corporate role, I used to really feel like a a, a round hole in a square peg. Um, I felt like I didn't know what was different about me, and, and I think in reflection, it was because of the way I viewed things differently. Um, much more of a future kind of leaning um, way that, you know, there, there aren't a ton of people that again, kind of see view, view the world through that lens and, and, and can, you know, figure out how to move the pieces around to kind of make it happen. And so um, that's a very long winded way of saying, yes, it becomes easier <laughs> after you've had. <laughs> some success. I was but, about to say, what was my question? Yeah. <laughs> It's also only a small subsection of people who really just get it um, at the end of the day. And so when you find them, you, you hold on for dear life. 
yeah, no, um, seeing the world through a different lens is definitely an entrepreneurial characteristic. Um, we're running short on time and I've got two questions. So, um, how do you, you mentioned it earlier. So you, you, you sold the business, you put a couple pennies in the back pocket, you started a new business, you raised money earlier on. So from both standpoints, you've got more capital now, right? More personal capital as well as more capital in the business bank account. You stayed in hotels with blood on the walls, um, off the beaten path. Um, you ate um, bad Waffle House. Actually, I love Waffle House. She ate great, great There's Waffle no House. There's no such thing as bad Waffle yeah, Sorry, I didn't mean to misspeak there. You ate Waffle House a lot. Um, how do you keep the scrappiness this time around in a company that's better capitalized? Right? What do you focus on? It's not staying in the blood-ridden hotels or something else, right? Or maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe you're still staying in the blood. I'd love to hear Pat's perspective on this, and then I can answer because that's something that is very near and dear to my heart. So go ahead, Pat. Yeah. Um, listen, so there's a uh, William, you see the movie Bold Durham? Of course. All right. You know, the scene towards the end, Tim Robbins's character, Nuke, she's on the mound. He's having a tough game. And, and Kevin Costner, Crash Davis, walks out there, the catcher, and he says, Nuke, what's, what's going on? And Nuke, the pitcher, kind of wipes his sweaty forehead. He says, ah, oh, my dad's in the crowd, and I'm just I'm nervous in front of my dad. And Kevin Costner looks over and waves at the guy. And Costner looks at him. He says, listen, it's your old man. He's, he's as full of it as anybody. And for some reason, like, I filed that line. He's as full of it as anybody. I filed that away as, like, uh, both an encouraging and humbling mantra. Um, I, I, I sometimes maybe say it with a little bit more color, but um, I'm as full of it as anybody else, which is to say, like, you're doing really well. You're crushing it. Well, you're kind of as full of it as anybody else. Like, calm yourself down, cool your jets. You know, the, the other shoe's going to drop. You know, stay sharp, stay scrappy, stay humble, keep learning. Um, and the inverse is true. Maybe you, you hit a valley and it's really difficult. And you say, yeah, but I'm, I'm as full of it as anybody else, i.e., you know, all these other people who have had success, you know, frankly, <laughs> maybe sometimes they, they feel like they're making it up as they go along. Maybe sometimes they've had kind of rough times before they've had good times. It's, listen, it's, it's a kind of a silly psychological device that's had huge uh, effect on me over the past few years, because it's something that is quite actionable. And if my, if, if anybody on my team is, is, is listening to this, they're going to laugh because they've heard me say that a lot. Um, you say it to yourself when you're down, you say it to yourself when you're up. And what it means is, Get back to work. You know, we raised an exciting round of capital over the summer. We've got incredible institutional capital partners working with us. They've, they've given great guidance as we've grown. Um, you know, the first thing we did uh, when we raised that capital was we, we went back to work. You know, we started calling customers again. We, we rededicated to, you know, expanding the platform, just the fundamentals of growing the business. You, you work the problem, you work the growth. Um, so stay humble, stay crappy, stay curious, I guess, is, is how I would think about it. And frankly, you recruit people to join your team who have a similar kind of way of seeing the world. Yeah, I mean, that, that there's, that's absolutely right, Pat. There, there's, no, there's no magic involved. The stuff isn't mystical. Yeah. You don't sit on a hill and chant and, and, and have success. You, you grind and you freaking work your ass off. I mean, I don't know... Eh, 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 you know, even though Pat and I have had success, we still put in way more hours of work a week than, than either of us would 
would like I, if people ask me like what are your hobbies and i kind of laugh and i'm like you know i'm a startup ceo don't you like <laughs> I, you know, like I, I can't tell you my hobbies because they don't, they don't exist i mean it is my hobby so there and you recruit people that have similar mindset right i mean we're very we try to be very clear uh in the interview process this is not a nine to five if you want nine to five you go work at the bank down the street or, or whatnot like it, it's you cannot be successful um with, with, with those hours or that mentality. And so, you know, it's, it's, we live in a culture where I'm going to get on my soapbox for one minute and then get off it. But we live in a culture where people think you can have it all. You can have success. You can have work-life balance. You can have the blah, blah, blah. That's baloney. You can't have it all. You've got to pick and choose what you want and what's important to you and and go after that. And, um, you know, for us, we love starting businesses and, 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 creating value for our customers. And in the byproduct, we're creating jobs and, you know, wealth and everything else, which, you know, is what gets me up out of bed every, every day. Um, super excited. So uh, I'll get off my soapbox. Now you're good. So it leads me to the perfect. I mean, so you just push it right into the um, last question and I'll let y'all go. <clears throat> There's another company in town that started a, uh, about two decades ago um, that re- recently kind of finished their, their wealth creation event. Right. So um, seeing that happen over the course of the last couple of weeks or months, depending on how you look at it. Um, how do you, how has Avid helped break down doors for startups in Charlotte? And I guess more particularly y'all. Yeah. I mean, Avid's a great, you know, example of, you know, hopefully along a launch chain of, um, startups that were, are going to hopefully mint, uh, future entrepreneurs and, and, and well, I, I mean, I'm a big believer. I've, I've said this for years that until you have a startup that goes public in Charlotte that mints hundreds of millionaires, that's what it kind of takes to kickstart the entrepreneurial scene. And, and in my opinion, too many successful companies in Charlotte have the, the equity has been held um, in the hands of just the founders. And, and we haven't seen that. Um, success right as an ecosystem because we're not minting um hundreds of millionaires and and, and you know I, that's an evolution and, and and avid's a great uh start to that that journey and and hopefully um you know anduin and and lots of other companies in charlotte will be able to continue that that tradition and and, and just um you know continue that process because i think that's what it's going to take to to get to where certainly i want us to be um as an ecosystem so so pat you um you went movie quotes or um, movie for a second a a few minutes ago so i'm I'm gonna go movie for you just as either one of y'all like die hard die hard too the best christmas Um, movie on the planet my wife still doesn't believe it's christmas it's the second one where they're out at dulles airport and the bad guys are trying to get away right and as they take off he lights it on fire and he says some words there that we probably shouldn't repeat on the podcast and then one of the planes that's stuck up in the air has been sucking around dulles airport uses the um um uses the fire as the mechanism to come down and land right so um and all the other policies they're using the fire to come so essentially um when you said that justin about avid and they've kind of they've, they've kind of laid the path right for everybody to come else and and hopefully the you know companies do it in a in a faster pace than what um avid was able to do in it but to your point they cer- certainly laid down the path for everybody else to follow here yeah absolutely 
So that was just my way. I hadn't been able to say die hard on the podcast in three and a half years. So the opportunity came. So I, I just had to jump on it. Well done. So, <laughs> so anyways, well, you know, I've wanted y'all on the podcast for 18 months now just to talk a little bit about um, digitize, but it's cool to get you on here to talk about digitize as, as well as obviously the, um, the new company and doing as well. So y'all have done great stuff. Um, you know, thanks for carving out some time for us today. Uh, uh, keep it up. And, you know, again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Bill. This is the owner of and an investment advisor representative of Portis Wealth Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.